Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to speak to you this morning uh, around the theme of prison, praise and purpose. Prison, praise and purpose. It's not a um, particularly exciting title. If you want another title, you could put praise in dark places. We often talk about you know, praise in high places, but I want to speak about praise in dark places this morning um, because we are living in pretty crazy times. I don't know where you were on Wednesday, September 22, just a month or so ago. If you're here in Melbourne, uh, you may not remember the date, but I can guarantee you, you'll remember the time. It was just after 9am on the Wednesday morning and uh, everything started to shake. Pastor Sally and I were sitting in our front room just reading the Word together, and then all of a sudden we just felt these tremors, and if you remember, the occasion was the earthquake that struck Melbourne uh, on on the scale Richter 6. And uh, we sat there in our house, and ours is a pretty solid house, but I want to tell you, uh, as it began to shake and creak, then the thoughts went through my mind, what is going on? And I've got to tell you, they weren't just calm thoughts of, oh, I wonder what's happening. It was a little bit of concern in there as well. Like, what is going on? Like, is this going to get worse? When is this going to stop? And I think that all across Melbourne, wherever that earthquake went, that was what was going through the heart of mind of so many people. What is going on? When will this end? Am I going to be okay? And I think that moment sums up so beautifully the last two years. You see, as the pandemic has, has swept across the nations of the world, there's been a, a, like a universal cry, what on earth is going on? Because what the pandemic has done in many ways has, has threatened and in some cases taken away two of the most precious things that we hold dear to our existence, and that is our sense of comfort and our sense of control. If there's anything that we as humans in our flesh are addicted to, it's comfort and control. And what the pandemic has done at a national, international level, at an economic level, at a health level, at a societal level, at every area of life, has threatened our comfort and our control. And we have universally ask the question, what's going on? Will we survive? How will we get through? What's going to happen next? How long will this last? And many of us, even in the areas of our faith, have asked the same questions, but at a different level. We've said, God, what's going on? God, how long will this go on? God, what are you doing? God, are you watching? God, are you with me? God, are you happy with everything that's happening in my life? And it has it has challenged our faith. And I, I don't know about COVID. I don't know. I know there's a roadmap, but none of us know exactly what it's going to look like over the next few months as, as change begins to roll out. But I do know this morning that the Word of God gives us instruction. I do know this morning that the Spirit of God wants to encourage us that in times like this, 
We don't have to live like the world lives. We don't have to feel like the world feels. We can have an anchor. And I'm praying this morning that if you're going through difficult times right now, that you will be inspired, that God will again visit you this morning through His Word as we again look at what is the perspective that we should have in times where it looks like things are out of control, it feels like things are out of control, and we're asking the question, God, what is going on? And I want us to look at a, uh, a passage of Scripture where one of God's generals is actually in prison. And look at that whole theme of prison, praise, and purpose. But before we do that, I have to lay a foundational thought. We have to go to Scripture and, and make sure that we understand one of the most critical, one of the most fundamental, one of the most important, absolute truths of our Christian faith. That when we understand this and when we embrace this truth, literally changes everything about our perception of what is happening around about and how we respond to it. And that truth is this, that no matter what's going on, no matter what is being shaken, no matter what pain we may be experiencing, whatever injustice we may be witnessing or perhaps experiencing ourselves, there is one thing that we can be absolutely, absolutely sure of. And that is this, that our God is a good God and he always has a purpose. The God who saved you, the God who redeemed you, is a good God. And he always has a plan. Chronicles 16 verse 34 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Nahum 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And this is the one I love. Psalm 119 verse 68, You are good and what you do is good. See, when we look at Scripture over and over and over and over again, it tells us that God is good and that He does good. And not, not just on some days, but every day, all the time, since the beginning of eternity. It's part of His nature. It's part of who God is. The reality is God never, ever has a bad day. He never has a sick day. He never has a day when He's missing in action. God is good. He always has been good and He always will be good. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Listen, who does not change like shifting shadows. A.W. Tozer said this, The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. And it's true. He is Good. 
but he's also incredibly purposeful. He's always working on a plan. Think about creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night and night they display knowledge. Friends, I don't know if you've stopped and considered creation lately. If you've stopped and just looked at the wonder of the heavens and the earth. But creation was not random. God said, let there be light. And he began a process. He began a plan. He began working on a strategy. He said, let there be light. And then he said, let there be sky above and then seas below. And then he separated the land and the seas. And and on and on he went to, to the very point that the strategy of creation remains today. He's purposeful, and he's purposeful not just on creation, setting the heavens and the earth in place, but he's purposeful for your life and for my life, and he's purposeful for the life of the church on planet earth. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, I'm confident of this, the Apostle Paul, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, God is good and God has a plan for your life and it's a plan that nothing can interrupt. If we keep our eyes on Him, if we keep our perspective leaning towards Him, I'm telling you, He will fulfill. He will fulfill. He will fulfill. He will fulfill the plans that He has for your life, for my life, for the life of the church on planet earth. He doesn't stop. It's not like he's building a a flat pack from Ikea and you get so frustrated and you want to throw the thing out. No, 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 no. We might make mistakes. We might get lost. We might get diverted. But God says, it doesn't matter. I've still got you. I've still got the plan and I'm working on it. I need to tell someone this morning, don't despair. God's not despairing. Don't give up. God's not giving up. He's got a plan. He's working the plan. He's a good God and He has a perfect plan for you and for me. But you know, there's something challenging about the plans of God. (laughs) They're God's plans. And what we have to understand about God's plans is they take time. They take God's time. And the interesting thing is that God seems to operate on a different time frame than you and I in so many different cases. We're in such a hurry. We live in an immediate world. But God says, no, 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 my time. And the thing about God's time is that you can't force it. See, if you, if you remember the days of international travel, you remember that when you went to another nation, so many different times, they, they were on a different time frame. And there may be four hours, eight hours, two hours difference. But here's the thing. When you step into onto that nation, you step into that time frame, you have to forget your own time frame. You, you can't get out on the street and, and yell at that nation and say, hey, you should be on my time frame. I'm awake now. No, no, no. They're operating on their time frame. And the crazy thing is with, with the timing of God, so often it's like we're, we're yelling at God saying, hey, God, you should be on my time frame. But God is in heaven. God sits above all things. He knows all things. His time is often different 
from our time and his plans, well, sometimes they don't make sense to our thinking. See, oftentimes we think that it's just going to happen. God says, gives us a promise and we think, well, it's just going to be very straightforward. It's just going to take a few steps and, you know, we've got, it's a straight line and it all makes sense in our mind. But the reality is that before we get over there, God might send us over here. And then once he sends us over here, well, then he might make us go back over here. And, and, and so many times we, we think, God, we could have got over there so much more easily. But reality is, no, 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 God is working on his plan and sometimes it doesn't make sense to us but I need to encourage someone this morning that if you think you're lost and you're wondering why God's plan is so different from your own it's because he's working on something other than the destination he's working on character he's working on faith he's working on other people around about he's working on things that sometimes we are completely unaware of but we have to trust him when it doesn't even make sense to us. And the other truth is this morning that sometimes when we think about God's plan, the reality is that sometimes even the best of us are going to end up in some terrible places. Sometimes even the best of us are going to find ourselves in a place of pain where we're asking God, is this what you wanted to happen? Is this what it was supposed to look like? That's where we need to go very quickly this morning to Acts chapter 16. If you've got your Bible there, we're going to go there in just a moment. But before we do that, I need to to talk about the setting here. You see, the Apostle Paul and Silas are on a, a journey with Timothy alongside with them. They've been sent off by the church in Antioch. So they've received prayer. They've got a vision. They're going off on a mission of God, a mission from God, undercovering to strengthen and to enlarge and to, to preach and to teach. But the interesting thing is if you, if you look at the beginning of Acts chapter 16 through to where we're going to find them eventually, it looks like nothing is really going to plan. Verse 18 says that Paul said, I tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow us to go there. In verse 19, it says that in Troas, he had a vision, a man of Macedonia standing and begging them to come to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia, but instead of meeting a man, they meet a woman called Lydia. Lydia and her entire family get saved. And so Paul stays there preaching and teaching. And then Scripture records that they start being followed around by a woman who's crying out to the crowd that these men are men of God and they're telling you the way of salvation, which seems cool, but then it turns out that she's actually a fortune teller and Paul has to cast a spirit out of her. Doesn't seem like it's going to plan. Anything's happening here. And then because of the, 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 the fallout of this woman being set free from demonic powers, it means that the, the, the boss, the, the one that used to own her now has lost his income and, and they get thrown into prison. And that's where we are going to join the story. But when I look at this whole setting first, there's a part of me that's confused. There's a part of me that, that asks the question, wait a minute, I don't get it. Paul's one of the good guys. Paul's the, the best of the best of the best. 
He's the guy who hears from God. He's the guy who's anointed by God. He's the preacher. He's the theologian. He's the best of the best. And yet he's in prison. He's been stripped. He's been beaten. He's in pain. I think, God, that's bad advertising. What is going on with this? And I'm confused by it. But then at the same time, I'm encouraged by it. At the same time, I'm, I'm comforted by it because I think to myself, wow, if Paul didn't have a perfect plan, if Paul didn't know what was going on all the time, if it wasn't all a bed of roses, if it wasn't all just, wow, God is with me and it's so wonderful. Look at the blessing here. If it wasn't all like that for Paul, then maybe it doesn't have to be like that for me. Maybe I don't have to know what's going on all the time. Maybe we don't have to have a perfect 10-step plan. Maybe what God is asking us is just take the steps that we can and trust Him with the things that we can't control. When our comfort is stolen, when our control is taken away, simply trust Him. Let's go to Scripture. Acts chapter 16, we're going to read from verse 25. It says, about midnight, so Paul and Silas are in the jail. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a silent, a, a, a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You know, it's a great story. And hindsight, we know exactly what was going on. But if we just think about that moment before the earthquake, with Paul and Silas still there in prison, not knowing what was going on. I know if it was me, I would be thinking, God, this is crazy. I would be wondering, God, is this your plan? God, is this what you are happy with? Is this how it's supposed to be going down? I think I'd be thinking, God, I'm supposed to be doing other things. Paul could have been thinking, God, I'm supposed to be preaching. God, I'm supposed to be ministering. God, I'm supposed to be on a trip that was ordained by you. There was, I'm supposed to be but I'm stuck here in prison. I think again, so many of us right now may be crying out, God, I'm supposed to be. I thought I was going to be. I'm supposed to be living my best life now, but I'm stuck in this reality of the pandemic. I was supposed to be running a successful business. I was supposed to be 
living my best life with my family, but we're under so much stress. I was supposed to be traveling overseas, supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be. But God, I'm here in prison. God, what is going on? And I think it's an opportunity for us to stop and look and understand this one key that this is in in prison. When we're in prison, when we feel like everything's been taken away, when we feel like we're in chains, it's in prison where God does some of his finest work. Some of his finest work in us and some of his finest work through us. You see, prison is where we get to really exercise our praise. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoice. <laughs> I rejoice when they said unto me, come on, let's go to the house of God. I know if you know me, you know I'm addicted to the house. You know that I'm addicted to worship. You know that, oh, I tell you, things happen when we come together and we worship God and we praise Him as we have been this morning. And I trust you have been in your homes or wherever you're gathering this morning. Something wonderful happens when the body gets together and we worship God together. But can I challenge you this morning that I think sometimes when we worship together, it's easy praise. And I don't mean that to be offensive. All praise is precious. All precious. But I think there's some praise that holds more power than other praise. See, when we're together, there's an atmosphere. When we're together, there's freedom. But I think when we learn to praise when we're in pain, there's a greater power. I think of Job. You know the story of Job. He was a righteous man. He was a blameless man. But the devil came and asked God for permission to test him. And it's so interesting that he came and the devil said to God, hey, he only worships you. He's only the kind of man he is because you bless him so much. But if you let me take away that blessing, let's see what happens. And God said, okay, you can do that. Now, let me pause for a moment. I want to encourage you, if you're going through a trial right now, if you're going through a pressure right now, remember this, every trial, every pressure has to come via the throne. Every pressure, every trial. Devil has no right to come into our world, to come into your world, unless God allows that pressure. And the only reason God will allow that pressure is because he knows by his grace, you are able to withstand that pressure. In other words, it's been pressure tested. Before that circumstance came into your world, it was pressure tested by God. And God says, yes, I'll allow that because I know by my grace, they will be able to go through it. And by my grace, they will be strengthened. And by my grace, I will show others my glory. It's fascinating. The devil took away all of his livestock, all of his crops, all of his servants. And then an earthquake came. And the house in which all his children and their families were gathered together was destroyed. And he lost all of his children as well. But here's what the Bible says. When Job heard about the catastrophic event, it says in Job 1.20, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
when I think about that. And I know scripture doesn't give us all of the details, but it implies he didn't get mad at God. He didn't start blaming the devil. He, he didn't start pretending that nothing was happening, that he didn't go into denial. He, it was as if Job was saying, I, I am in pain. I, I am confused. I don't have all the answers. This is not good, but one thing I do know, God is good. One thing I am convinced of is that God is a good God and God is worthy of our praise. Can I challenge you this morning, friends? When we're in the prison, when we're going through the hard times, praise is not an emotion. Praise is first and foremost a decision that we make. I do not believe that Paul and Silas suddenly were there in the prison in midnight hour in all of their pain and suddenly a nice warm fuzzy anointing came into that place and their emotions were lifted and their spirits were lifted and they couldn't help but praise God. No, I don't think it was a warm fuzzy emotion or anointing. I think it was just a cold hard decision. God is still good and we are going to praise Him in this place. You see, that's the whole thing about worship. When we praise in dark places, we've learned the secret. We've learned the secret that no matter what we're going through, God does not change and God still has a plan. And we're getting our spirit to dominate our flesh. You see, when we praise, atmospheres shift. And the first atmosphere that shifts is the atmosphere of our own heart. Our spirit begins to dominate over our flesh. Psalm 42 verse 5 says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. What's happening there? What's happening is the battle is the greatest battle is not what's happening outside. The greatest battle is what is happening inside. It's the battle between spirit and flesh. It's the battle between what Scripture tells us and what we decide to hold on to. And I want to encourage you again today if you feel like you're in that prison. You may feel like you're in a prison. It may feel like you can't do anything. But can I encourage you? Never Go silent in your prison. Paul and Silas could have just hung their heads and waited for the morning, but they didn't. They did not remain in silence. They lifted up their voices and they began to praise God. And I want to tell you, when we praise God in the dark place, atmospheres shift, faith begins to rise, hell begins to tremble, and then heaven begins to kick in. It was as they praised God, the earthquake came, the doors flung open, the chains fell off, and it was a supernatural deliverance that they had from that place. I want to encourage you, do not go silently if you find yourself in a prison. Lift up your voice, begin to praise God, wherever that may be, whatever circumstance you may be, because as you praise Him in your prison, heaven is going to begin to kick in supernaturally. And it won't be through your effort. It won't be if they didn't pull the chains down. They didn't knock the doors open. It was a supernatural season of God, moment of God that came. I believe with all of my heart 
through this time of pandemic and all of the challenges, there are things that we cannot solve. There are situations that we cannot change. But as we praise God, He can change it all in a moment of time. In a moment of time, that family issue, in a moment of time, that financial concern, in a moment of time, God can rearrange things in a moment of time if we will just praise Him and allow Him to invade our circumstance. See, the other thing that happens when we begin to praise God is that other people start to lean in. I love it. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. It says the other prisoners were listening to them. And after the earthquake, the jailer comes to them. He rushes, he falls, trembling. He says, what must I do to be saved? Friends, we've got to understand prison is where we learn our suffering is never just about us. It's always a bigger story. God is always working on a bigger story plan that sometimes we're totally unaware of. Somebody else is always listening when we are being tested. There are people right now that are watching you. Some of them know that you're a believer. Some of them know that you, you used to go to church. They, they, they know that you're a, a believer. And they're asking the question, they're watching and they're listening and saying, I wonder if their faith makes any difference right now. Some people are watching you and they don't know that you're a believer, but they're sensing that there's something different about you. They're asking themselves, what is it that even though they're being affected, they've still got this incredible confidence. They've still got this sense of peace. They're still encouraging others. They're even helping others, getting out, doing things. And they're wondering, what is it about you? What is it that gives you that hope, that peace, that strength, that confidence? Friends, when you're suffering, when the world is suffering, people are looking and listening. And we have an opportunity to shine like no other time. See, the truth is there's an atmosphere around your world. There's an atmosphere around my world. And we create it by our faith. We create it by holding on to that perspective that God is good and he's working a plan. Atmospheres. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, 15, that, that we are actually a sweet aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The message puts it this way, that everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation. Can I tell you, we have an opportunity like no other opportunity to change the atmosphere. My wife, Sally, she loves perfumes and she loves all those scents. If you come to our house, she'll have candles lit. She puts on beautiful perfume. She tells me if we go to a hotel that, oh, they use this scent and that scent. Atmospheres, scents are, are powerful things. They, they make people think and feel differently. And the truth is that you and I have an opportunity to create a different atmosphere than what the pandemic is and what the shutdown is. There's so much atmosphere of fear, so much atmosphere of oppression, so much fear of anger. But you and I can change that because we carry the grace of God. As Jesus said, we have an opportunity to light the world. We have an opportunity to let His light shine. 
They can do that. We can do it by our words. We can do it by our actions. And I want to, again, congratulate the church. You haven't put your head in the sand, but you've been busy out in the community. The word that has been preached over this pulpit has been a word of faith. It's been a word that has glorified God. It's a word that has instructed us to come on. We can make a difference in these times. And you've been doing that. People ask the question, why, why, what is going on in these dark times? And the truth is this, in dark times, God is wanting to use you. In dark times, God is wanting to use me. God is wanting to use his church to shine a light. It's going to bring people back. It's going to bring them back to a good God who loves them and has a plan for their lives and a plan for all humanity. So let me wrap up very quickly. What do we do? Prison, praise and purpose. How do we respond? Number one, can I encourage you? Start living a preloaded life. What I mean by that is get such a revelation of the goodness of God that if difficult times come, when you're speaking, ministering to others that are going through it, the first response is, no, 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 no. Whatever's happening, God is good. Let's trust him. Get preloaded with the word of God. Stop trying to understand everything. Stop trying to control everything. I know you thought it would be a short trip. I know you didn't think you'd end up over here and end up over there. But friends, that's God's business. Stop trying to have it all under control and understand everything. Keep praising God no matter what. Remember that somebody's always listening. The dark times are when people are more open than any other time. And finally, remember this. Remember this, God is always good and is always working on a plan. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.